Now, this morning, how many you know in the month of April, we're talking about trusting God and how to build our faith so that we can become who God wants us to be. And our key scripture has been Jude 1 verse 24. Let me just read it for you. It says, now to him who is able, say God is able, to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You know, one of the crowns we'll get in eternity for loving God and loving his coming is the crown of joy. And so what he's saying here is if we'll learn to embrace everything that God has for us, we'll partake of that crown of joy. And that's his goal for our lives. Can you say amen? So I want to talk to you this morning about going after and realizing that God wants his best for your life. Amen? God wants his best for your life. But there's a a struggle that goes on in the natural for you and I to capture that or to walk in who God has made us when we got saved. And we're going to talk about how that works practically over the next couple of weeks. But I want to highlight a word here that's really important in regards to this. And it's the word present from verse 24. It says, he's able to present you and I. And that word present is the Greek word histami. And it actually means to make you stand. It means to cause you to live. And it means to establish you or to hold you up or to set you up. Look at the person next to you and say, God is setting you up. One of the most encouraging things you'll discover in the Word, if you study the Word of God, you'll find out that 95% of the heroes in the Bible became heroes in the most difficult times of their life. So maybe you're in a difficult time in your life. Maybe you feel like, man, I just don't know how I'm going to get out of it. That is the best place to be because it's God's opportunity to reveal himself to you. Amen. Amen. And he wants his best for your life. So look at the person next to you. Say, his best is coming your way. So with that in mind, God is going to present. God's going to make you strong. God's going to cause you to stand firm and be established. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And I want to read it um, out of the New Living Testament. It says, yet now he has reconciled you. How many of you know the word has is past tense? So if you're born again, just give me a quick wave. You're born again. If you're not born again, I'm coming after you, after the service. So put your hand up. All right? Listen, if you're born again, this has already happened. All right? He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Wow. Now listen, that's already happened in the spirit. But you've got to walk it out in the natural. Can you say amen? So in the spiritual, it's happened. In the natural, it's happening. Say it's happening. Because look at verse 23. He clarifies. He says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you first or when you heard the good news. 
The good news has been preached all over the world, and our Paul have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Verse 23 in the Amplified says this, And this he will do. What will he do? He'll finish reconciling you in the natural, because he's already done it in Christ. This he will do, how? Provided you continue to stay with and in the faith, in Christ, well-grounded, settled and steadfast, not shifting or moving away from the hope which rests on and is inspired by the glad tidings, the gospel, which you heard and which has been preached as been designed for and offered without restriction to every person under heaven and of which gospel, our Paul, have become a minister. In other words, you've got to hold on. So I'm holding on. To what God has done in me. Because you see, God got a hold of you. And he's never going to let you go. Amen? So all you've got to do is hold on to him. And you do that by standing firm. So I want to talk to you today. How does this happen practically? What, what do I have to do tomorrow and the next day and the next month to make sure this reality that Christ has done in me works out in me in the natural? So that day to day I can become more and more like Christ. Well, he gives the answer in verses 20 and 21 of Jude 1. Let's read it. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Notice he starts that verse. He says, My beloved. Now, you studied Jude with me in, in March, and we've been going through April. And how many times doesn't Jude say, my beloved, my beloved? What is he doing? He's establishing the fact that in Christ you are loved. Amen? In Christ you are accepted. In Christ you have your identity. And he's saying now, because you're loved by God, because you're God's beloved, you respond to that love by faith. All right? So he's establishing this isn't a work you try and do. You're not striving to please God. You're not striving to, to get God's approval. You already have it. Look at the person next to you. Say, you are approved. If you're born again, you're washed in the blood, you're approved. Now, out of that approval, you start responding and living your life. And what do you do? You build yourself up. Amen? You pray in the Spirit. You keep yourself in the love of God. Amen? And you look for the mercy of God. Say, I'm building my life. So for the rest of April, I want to look at these four areas. And we're going to study them out. Today and next week, we're going to look at building yourself up. Say, I must build myself. As I respond to God's love in my life. And so what do I build myself up? I build myself up on my holy faith. God wants you and I to be able to remain spiritually strong. Amen? He wants us to be able to remain vibrant in our lives, despite what we're going through. Is anyone going through anything today? Just wave if you're going through something. I'm looking if you don't put up your hand, because then there's something wrong. Hang on, we've all got challenges in our lives. We're all facing storms. We've all got things going on around us. And so he's saying, in spite of that, you can be strong. 
In spite of that, you can be vibrant. In spite of that, you can keep serving God and building your life. Say, I'm building my life on my faith. Now, what I love here is notice he calls it holy faith. So let's ask ourselves a question. Who has faith this morning? Give me another one. I know you're putting your hands up a lot. Don't worry, we'll get through this together. Who has faith this morning? All right, we've got faith. Now listen, that means you're holy. Because he calls your faith holy. So if you're living by faith, if you're doing your best to serve God, listen this morning, you're holy. Holy isn't being perfect. Holy is trusting God and his perfection. And so... We remain spiritually vibrant, not just by studying and listening to the word, but becoming obedient to the word. You see, I can hear the word all day long, but if I don't apply it, if I don't become obedient to it, then it's not going to make the difference in my life that it can. Look at what 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says. You know the, the verse very well. And it's come on the back of saying, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And he talks about the the spiritual warfare. But then in verse 10, he says, casting down arguments and every hard thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So it's not even about your obedience. It's about Christ's obedience. And when you look at it and you discover how obedient Christ was and you start making that part of your life, you become obedient to it. Can you say amen? So let's break down this verse and let's really just open it up and have a look at a few very important things. Firstly, this word casting down. It says casting down every thought or every imagination that's contrary to the word. The word casting down here in the Greek, listen to what it means. To show violence. All right? It means to show violence in demolishing the things or the thoughts that aren't from God. In other words, it shows you and I need a determination and a, and a, a one-mindedness about eradicating the thoughts that aren't from God. You've got to be violent. You know the biggest lie the enemy or the devil sold the church is that he's not real. Or that we're not really in a battle. And we're just going to come to church and we're going to sing Kumbaya and then we're going to go home and we're just going to live our lives and everything will be fine. No, 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 no. It's not going to be fine. You've got to rise up with the armor of God and you've got to fight the good fight of faith. Can you say amen? You've got to take charge and you've got to apply and enforce the victory God already won for you. And so it's saying here that there needs to be this determination to demolish the things that aren't of God. Then he says, what do we cast down? We cast down arguments. In the King James, it says imaginations. This word in the Greek actually says this. You take control of every reasoning and imagination that's contrary to the word. So we've got to be aware that our mind is actually where the battle happens. And the enemy wants to get you to believe his lies and the imaginations he's given you. And God wants you to destroy those by bringing the word of God in. Amen. Amen. Then he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing. In other words, that word high thing there speaks about elevated places or barriers. How many of you know there are elevated places in your life or barriers that are preventing you from God's best in your life? 
Maybe it's in the area of finances. Maybe in the, it's in an area of habits that you become uh, controlled by. Maybe it's in an area of uh, you lose your temper. Amen? Maybe it's in an area of the way you think about people or an area in your marriage. Those thoughts, because of your past and the things you've allowed in your life, they now control you and they become a barrier to you receiving what God says about you. And he says you need to take those things, you need to demolish them. Amen? And you need to bring them down from their high place because they're exalting themselves against who God says you are. Say this with me. Say, I'm a champion. Say, I'm powerful. Say, God is greater in me than what I'm facing in the world. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to believe that because the day you start believing that, it'll change the way you think and act. Say, I'm a winner. winner. And I'm an overcomer. All right? That every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. Say, every thought. This word thought in the Greek actually says every purpose and perception of your mind. You've got to bring every purpose and perception of your mind into the obedience of Christ. So you've got to start believing and embracing who and what God says you are. Who and what God says you can do. Amen? And that will start to change the way you think, would start to change the way you act, would start to change your life. And what do I do? I bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Maybe you want to ask the person next to you this question. What are you thinking about? Come on, just turn to them. Say, what are you thinking about? Your thought life is so important. Your thoughts, your thoughts ultimately are governed... They accepted or rejected by what you believe. And you see, if you start believing the wrong thing, you'll start to struggle with the wrong thoughts. Those thoughts will become a stronghold in your mind and they'll start to control you, all right? And those wrong thoughts will produce unhealthy emotions that lead to toxic feelings, guilt, shame, condemnation, and even fear. Please write this down. Nothing good ever comes out of fear. Nothing positive comes out of fear. Can you say amen? Fear is designed by the enemy to destroy our faith and to rob us of our joy. So these wrong feelings ultimately will produce wrong behavior, wrong action, and even painful addictions and strongholds in our lives that destroy us. Remember what Paul said to us in Ephesians 6. The final chapter of the book of Ephesians. What did he say in verse 10? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor or the full armor of God. Why? So you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. But now listen to verse 17. And something jumped out at me that I never noticed before. I've read this verse thousands of times. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. What stands out for you there? Well, it's all good. (laughs) But you know how it starts. It says, above all. Did you ever notice that word? Above all. He's saying, 
everything I've said preceding this, above everything else, make sure that you lift up your shield of faith. Why? So you can quench the fiery darts. What are the fiery darts? The thoughts that he tries to sow into our minds that will undermine what God says about you. That will undermine what God says you can do. That will undermine the wisdom of God that he's trying to bring into your life so you can make better decisions. And he says when your shield of faith is up, it will quench those fiery darts and stop them from penetrating your mind and your heart. Because the next verse says this, and put on the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? Protects your mind. Protects your head. And what is that helmet? It's the helmet of salvation. The good news of Jesus Christ. That he's saved you, that he's delivered you, that he's made you righteous, that you're acceptable to him, and that because of him you're faultless this morning. Jesus paid for your past sins, your present sin, and your future sin. Say, I'm forgiven. Now you need to walk in that. Can you say amen? And that's where the obedience comes. The biblical obedience simply means this, that I hear, I listen, and I conform. What do I do? I hear, I listen, and I conform. I know what wives want to look at their husbands right now and say, do you hear me, baby? Because how many of you know, we hear, but we don't always listen. Come on, ladies, you have such an opportunity, maybe the only one this whole service, to give a good amen. How many of you know, wives, you want to look at your husband right now, you're resisting the temptation. You're taking the thought captive to look at him and say, are you listening? Check, they're all looking for us like, Because how many know we love to hear, but we don't always listen? <laughs> Especially when we're watching rugby or soccer. Or... It's like, yes, hon. <laughs> I'll do it tomorrow. <clears throat> Sometimes we hear and we listen, but we don't conform. And biblical obedience means I listen, I hear, and I conform. So God's word comes to you in seed form. You've got to watch over that seed, water it, protect it, nourish it. Why? So that it can grow up to be a tree that brings you a harvest. And that's why sometimes the Word of God isn't working in our lives because we come to church and we expect to leave here and think everything's going to be fine because God is in control. God's only in control if you take that seed, nurture it in your life, and let it be protected so it can grow up. Say grow up and be a harvest. Think about this. Today you're receiving the word as a seed. But it's already a tree in my life. Because I've spent weeks meditating, studying, growing, developing the message. So it's growing into a tree. And now I'm delivering it to you as a seed. You need to take it and do the same thing with it so it can grow up in your life. Amen? And that's what true obedience is. That's when, you know, when the word goes from knowledge to revelation, it starts to impact your life. 
It starts to change your marriage. It starts to change your finances. It starts to change your habits. So if you haven't got that change yet, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Just sow the seed. Water the seed. Just look at the person next to you. Say, keep going. Now, let me prove this to you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Are you glad you came to church this morning? I said, are you glad you came to church this morning? I'm glad you came because you all sang happy birthday to me. (laughs) Hebrews 5 verse 8, look at this. Though he was a son, okay, so it's speaking about Jesus. Though he was a son, he learned obedience. Why did the Son of God have to learn obedience? Because he learned obedience as a man on earth so he could show us how to do it. So, though he was the son, he learned obedience, how? By the things which he suffered. What do we do when we suffer? We moan. We groan. Why is this happening to me? Where's God when I need him? I thought God was in control. No, no. What did Jesus learn? Obedience. So, there's a key there. When I'm going through something in my life, that's the best time to learn the word, to grow in the word, to apply the word to my life, because it's in that suffering that he learned obedience, and look what happened. And being perfected. Suffering, obedience, perfection. Say it with me. Suffering, obedience, perfection. The word perfection simply means maturity. So you're growing up and you're becoming better, you're becoming more like Christ. You're not there, but you're getting there. Amen? And so even Jesus learned this, and look what happened when he became perfected. He became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Called by, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Listen, since you have become dull of hearing... So he's talking to the Hebrews and he's saying, listen guys, I've, I've got so much to share with you about what God wants to do in your life, but I can't share it with you because you've become dull. Look at the person next to you say, are you dull this morning? No, I didn't say tell them you are dull. I said ask them. Come on, let's work together here. Let's stay friends. So evidently what had happened, because they weren't applying the word to their lives, they weren't working out their salvation, they weren't applying the word or becoming obedient, their ears had become dull, and so now the best God wanted to give them, he couldn't give it to them because they weren't ready. Look at the person next to you and say, are you ready? Say to yourself, say, I am ready. So being a true disciple of Christ means that I have a commitment that I make and a determination to stick with it. Not in my strength, not in my own works or my own ability, but rather in response to his ability, in response to his obedience. Listen, learning to yield to his strength makes me strong. I come in my weakness, Lord, I I can't do this today. I don't know how I'm going to get through this day, but Father, I'm trusting you. I'm asking for your wisdom. I'm going to apply your word, obey your word. Guess what happens? God starts to give me strength and wisdom. And suddenly I'm able to make better decisions and my life starts moving forward. Say, my life is moving forward. forward. 
Now, Jesus clarifies in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26. He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit, what, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will, it, what will a man give in, in exchange for his soul? Now, I know old-time preaching, incorrectly, kind of left this impression. Bearing your cross is just handling all the pain that's been dealt out to you in this world. You know, if you're sick, just bear your cross. You know, if your marriage is falling apart, just bear your cross. That is not what Jesus was saying. Because Jesus bore sickness for you, so you don't have to. Jesus bore sin, so you don't have to. What he's talking about, he clarifies. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, what must he do? Deny himself. The cross you've got to carry is denying yourself. What yourself wants. Your selfish desires. Your selfish greed. Your selfish, I want my way, when I want it, how I want it. And if I don't get it the way I want it, then I get angry. Yeah, just look forward. No one knows I'm talking about you. Just smile. Look at the person next to you and say, it must be you, it ain't me. That's the cross, amen, that I suffer in the flesh to not do what I want to do. In doing that, I lay down my life, and in laying down my life, I gain his life. Just let me give you a simple example. In the marriage relationship, when I want to do what I want to do, and Mandy doesn't want to do what I want to do, one of us need to do something. And if I'm going to bear my cross, I'm going to lay down what I want to do for the sake of what's better for my marriage. Come on, say preach it. Which means, which means, vice versa is also true. When I want to go play golf and Mandy doesn't want to play golf, she needs to lay down... Take her cross and follow me. I mean, follow Jesus. <laughs> Amen. So it's, it's dying to self and self-preservation and living for what Christ wants to do. That's why, just it's such a silly example, but it is true. When someone said to me today, man, I'm so sorry you can't be at the Waffle House. No, no. Even if I wanted to be at the Waffle House, I can't because I've got to lay down what I want to do so that I can be here to do what God called me to do. Do you understand that? So this means, in essence, that I make a decision to embrace God's values, God's way of doing things, Amen. And I aim my life at pleasing God. That's what Paul said. He said, if I become a true disciple of Christ, I no longer live to please man. Because if I was still to please man, I wouldn't please God. And I make it my aim, say my aim, to please <laughs> We lost this picture in the first service, probably because of load shedding. But I make it my aim to please God. Now, how many of you ever played darts? Okay, I play darts, I love playing darts, but I don't often hit the bullseye. 
I do occasionally. And I think what God is saying, listen, if you just hit the target, you're well on your way. Amen? At least you're hitting the board, amen? And you're not throwing it at the wall. And then as you grow, how you know, you narrow it down and you do start hitting a couple of bullseyes. So how do I aim to please God? Well, one of the ways is I embrace his priorities for my life. And that's where we get into the heart of the message today. I've got to embrace God's priorities and values in my life because then I position myself to live for God and to build myself. So let me give you God's priorities quickly. Write them down and we're going to study them. We'll probably get to one and a half of them today and we'll finish them next week. Remember, this is number one, building myself. How do I build myself? I embrace God's priorities for my life. Number one, it's God first. Say God first. Number two, it's myself second. Say self second. Number three, it's my family. Say family. Number four, it's my ministry. Say ministry. Number five, it's my work. Now, I know some of you are like, well, doesn't work come before ministry and doesn't family become before me? All right, before you shut me down, let me finish my sermon and then you can quit it, okay? Because I'll explain what I'm talking about. But can we all agree this morning, God is always first? Amen. Amen. So let's talk about that. What does it look like to put God first? You see, God wants his best for me and you. But he can only make the difference, and he is the only one who can make a difference in our lives, if we put him first by living by faith. Because you can only put God first in your life if you live by faith. All right? And when I start to live by faith, I start to embrace the way God does things. And I'll tell you why, because look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. It tells me what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith believes, although I can't see God, I believe He is God, I trust Him, and I believe His Word is truth. Amen? Amen? That qualifies as faith. Faith believes that God's Word is the absolute truth, and therefore I live my life by it. I trust God is who He says He is, and He'll do what He says He will do. That's what true faith is. So faith, then, is believing God. And when I make faith my lifestyle, it releases God's favor into my life to work in my life, and it starts to work in my circumstances, and it will enable me to achieve what God says I can achieve. Even if now I can't see it, I can't feel it. Listen to me, church. Can I encourage you as, as your pastor? There are some things in front of us that God wants us to believe for that it is impossible for us to reach it. But by faith, what does faith do? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of the things I can't see. So though we can't see it in the natural, faith says if God said it, we can believe it and then we can have it. And so living by faith is learning to please God and put Him first. Faith is actively walking in the things of God and not allowing our feelings to govern us from day to day. Have a look at Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith it is? Without faith it is? Without faith it is? Without faith it is? Impossible to do what? To please God. That means if I'm living by faith, I am pleasing Him. Hey, isn't that good news? 
How do I please God? Live by faith. Put Him first. All right? So, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder. He is a? Come on, preach with me. He is a? He is a? Of those who? Diligently seek Him. Let me ask you again, because you all put your hands up earlier. Who has faith this morning? Who wants to diligently go after God? Right then, listen, there's a reward for you. There's a reward for those who have faith and diligently seek God. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I want my reward. Amen? I want my reward. I want to walk in the things that God said I could walk in, because those who are diligently seeking Him, there is a reward. And David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. There are benefits to serving God. Can you say amen? And God wants us to walk in them. So faith refuses doubt and isn't run down by the devil's plan to drag you into temptation, to drag you into giving up, to drag you into deception, to drag you into discouragement. You may have a bad day, but you rise the next morning by faith and you say, you know what? Yesterday was a bad day, but today's a new day. And I'm going to rise with praise. I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to keep moving forward in faith. And I'm going to keep living for Jesus. Amen. Now look at verse 7. By faith Noah, say by faith. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Faith moved Noah to hear what God said, obey what he couldn't see, taking a hundred years to build an ark where he every day got mocked, but one day he got in that ark and guess who had the last laugh? And isn't it beautiful today that Jesus is your ark? Amen? And when I say build your life in Christ, build yourself up in your most holy faith, what are you doing? You're building Christ into your life. He is your ark. So one day when the storms of life come, guess what? You're going to float on those storms because you're in Christ. Say, I'm in Christ this morning. Now listen, making the decision to put him first in your life is a big deal today. Because how many know there are so many things pulling for our attention, pulling for us to change the way we think, pulling for us to change our belief. But here's the truth. We're going to believe the word, amen? We're going to stand on the word. We're going to live by the word. We're going to have faith like Noah, amen? Even when it looks like nothing's happening, we don't stop trusting God. And so this means that I'm willing to let go of anything that has a different agenda to me pursuing God and living for Him. You see, Noah put God first, and as a result... His whole family was saved. But not only was his family saved, the whole next generation was spared. Amen? Faith will move mountains. Can you say amen? And it will position you where God needs you to be. Listen to Genesis 6 verse 8 in the Amplified. It says, but Noah, say but Noah. Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so God was able to use him to build the ark. And here's the beautiful thing today. You too have found favor with God. 
Amen? You have the favor of God in your life. And if you'll live for Him, you can leverage that to walk in His purposes. If you're walking in His purposes today, if you love Him today, if you have purpose to serve Him today, then listen to me. God is in control in your life. Say He is in control. Now, let me clarify. If you're not living with God's priorities, if you're not seeking God first, if you're not living every day by the grace of God, then God is not in control in your life. You are. Or maybe Satan is. Because think about it. If I'm allowing his thoughts to control me, then who really is controlling my life? So you and I are just getting up and there's this blanket statement people make. Don't worry, God's in control. So whatever happens, it's God's fault. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. God is in control if you are a born-again believer, living for God, doing your best to be obedient, living according to the purpose of God, getting up every day, using the grace of God to live for Him, then you can make the statement, God is in control. Can you say amen? Just look at the person next to you. Say, our pastor really loves us. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you the truth. Amen? I can't claim God's in control if I'm living like the devil and everything's going wrong in my life and I'm like, I don't understand it. No, I understand it. You make stupid decisions. You let your flesh control you. Man up, take responsibility, trust God for mercy, and you know what? He'll deliver you. And He'll heal you and He'll give you another chance. Okay, let me just keep quiet because I'm getting way ahead of myself here. You too have favor. So I have favor. Listen to Ephesians 2 verse 7 and 8. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Isn't that beautiful? Say, I'm saved this morning. And God's favor is upon my life. All right. B, secondly. So God first. The second one is this, is myself second. Say myself second. God first, myself second. Now let me explain to you what I mean by myself second. In Ephesians 3 verse 8, Paul says this, to me who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Then in verse 12, he says this, in whom we have the boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. How you know the two, the two verses sound like they're contradictory? Paul on one stage is saying, I'm least of all the saints. And in the next couple of verses, he's saying, but I have unrestricted confidence and access to the presence of God. So which is it? It's both. Because Paul had a reality and a humility about himself that without Christ, he was nothing, but with Christ, he's everything. All right? And listen, he'd been serving God. When he wrote Ephesians, he'd already been serving God for 20 or 30 years. He was established in the ministry. He was a mighty man of God. And how many you know, we look back at him as one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. Yet he says, I'm least among the believers. Why? Because his past was shady. And he knew he'd persecuted the church. He'd killed men and women of faith. And that never left him, although he knew he was forgiven, although he knew that it didn't count anymore because Christ had put it under the blood, he still remembered that because it kept him humble. 
And it made him realize that without Christ, I can't do anything, but with him I can do anything. And so the reason I'm saying to you, yourself is your second priority, is really important for you and I to, to understand. So let me ask you this by giving you this. How many of you have ever flown in a plane? Most of us have been in a plane. If you haven't, you've probably seen it on a movie. What's the first thing they do before they take off? They say, please watch the lady. We're going to give you a security briefing. And they show you how to fasten the seatbelt and put on the life jacket, and they make it sound so nice. In the event of an accident, you know, like, this will be great, guys. If we crash, this is what you do. <laughs> I mean, they make it sound so, wow. But then what do they say? Masks will fall from the, from the thing above you. What must you do? Take the mask, put it on your mouth, and start to breathe slowly, and oxygen will be fed. And then they say something very important. Do not try and help anyone else until you have secured your mask on your face. Why? Otherwise, you're going to be dying with them. You'll be a hero for trying to help them, but you'll be dead. And the reason I make yourself the second priority is if you don't look after yourself, how are you going to help somebody else? If you don't take care of your own spirituality, of your own growth, if you don't take time for yourself so your soul is complete and your strength is strong, how are you going to make a difference in other people's lives? Can you say amen? If Noah didn't first have faith, if Noah hadn't built his faith, then God wouldn't have shown him favor and his family would not have had a chance. So when I say you come second, I'm not talking about your selfish agenda. I'm not talking about you doing whatever you want whenever you want. I'm talking about Yourself before God. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing you have. Can you say amen? Because when you know something, church, when my relationship with God is right, my marriage is way better. My children are blessed. And even you more blessed. Because then I don't preach in the flesh. I preach in the anointing. Amen? So just point your hand towards your pastor. Quickly point it towards me. Say, pastor, take the next month off. What happened to all the hands? Not even one stayed up. Okay, let's try that again. Point your hands towards me. Three of you, thank you. I'll take three months off for sure. Amen. Sometimes you've just got to separate yourself. And you know what? You've got to do what fills you and strengthens you. Because if you're not strong, how do you make a difference in other people's lives? If you don't learn to prosper, how are you going to sow seeds to build the kingdom? Amen? So I'm going to stop there. But I want to say this. When you learn to receive God's love for your life and apply it to your identity so that you can take care of yourself, you're not just empowering your life, but you're empowering God's love to work through you and so you can hear when God positions you and says, do something for somebody else. You can say, sure, Lord, I'll gladly do that because you're in position to do it. Uh, I'll give you some statistics next week, but I'll just share this little one with you quickly because it's quite significant. Do you know that only one or two out of every 10 ministers who started in ministry in their 20s end in ministry in their 50s? Two out of 10 and you know why? Because we don't know how to look after ourselves. We don't know how to say no to the congregation, say, listen, I'm taking a day off. 
I'm putting my phone off, I'm going to build my marriage, and I'm going to keep myself complete, because if I go down, I'm no good to anybody. Just look at the person next to you, say, don't go down. Look after yourself. Amen? All right. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here today and maybe you're in that place where you don't feel great today, you're fighting battles, you feel a little overwhelmed, I would love to pray with you today before you go because God really wants His best for your life. Serious moment. No one's looking around. Please, if that's you today and you just say, Pastor, would you just pray with me? I want to receive that fresh anointing of strength, of your mercy and your comfort. Just raise your hand. There's hands up everywhere. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for every person who's responded right now. And I pray for the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the peace of God to work in our lives right now, bringing us fresh strength. Father, I take authority over that feeling of overwhelmedness, of discouragement, of depression. I break its power in the name of Jesus. And I release the anointing of freshness, of increase, of liberty and encouragement into the hearts of people right now. That, Lord, you give them that spark of hope. That you reveal Jesus to them right now in this moment. That you give them hope. I take authority over that discouragement and that, that heartbrokenness. In Jesus' name, bring healing and comfort and strength. And I thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you personally haven't made Jesus Lord of your life then I'd love to pray with you and for you and lead you in the prayer of salvation. If that's you, where we are, just raise your hand quickly. God bless you. I see that. Someone else today say, yes, I want to join that person today. If you, if you raise your hand, would you just stand and just quickly walk down the aisle and go and meet Pastor Ben at the back. I want to pray with you today and for you. I know you told me you already accepted Christ, but you just need that reassurance today. We're going to reassure you. Is there someone who wants to join them today? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just if you'd face me for a minute, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. If you'd pray this out loud, just be sincere in your heart. The whole church is going to pray with you. Say, Father God, I believe today that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for my sin, that you raised Him from the dead so that I could be saved. I repent of my sin and I receive Christ as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. That is so exciting. God bless you. Now, if you'll go with Pastor Ben and Leonette just quickly, they're going to give you a Bible, they're going to pray with you, and then you can come back and join us in the service. I'm so excited today. We're going to invite Pastor Mandy to come. She's just